Welcome to Into the Well. I'm your host, Ryan Wilms. I started this show as a place to share my experiences and my journey towards living authentically and mindfully, and also to learn from those who are truly walking the path, healing themselves and inspiring others. By balancing the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, we can learn to live in harmony with ourselves and our environment. We'll be exploring different tools and modalities used to create sustainable well-being for a fulfilling life. So thank you for joining me. On this episode of the podcast, I connect with Leon Cerrone. Turns out we have a lot of mutual friends from London, from the fashion industry, where both of us have worked. And now some crossover in the cycling world as I've just begun to make my journey into that realm where Leon has been riding for a while with some of the best riders in the the world, really. Um, Working with brands like Rafa as well and Specialized recently. Um, I first came across Leon on a Mr. Porter video during their health and mind program, focusing on Leon's challenges with mental health and depression. And he was super vulnerable sharing his story. And uh, I just felt compelled to reach out and send him a message at the time. And then we've been in touch ever since, back and forth. And um, I just have found his uh, courage and vulnerability super inspiring and the sort of sense of humor and personality he brings to it. Um, We also talk a little bit about being Arsenal fans and um, his troubled 49ers and the season that they had following the Super Bowl loss. Um, Leon's great to follow on Instagram, and you really get a feel for his life. Uh, But he's a super genuine guy, Um, just kind of doing his best and sharing the journey and... uh, you know, it's uh, inspiring for me and, and a lot of people. I know the the Mr. Porter video is well worth checking out with Rafa. And um hope you enjoy this conversation that we had as well. Thanks. All right. Uh, I just want to start off by saying thanks, Leon, for, for coming on and taking the time and, you know, for sharing your story. Um, it's uh, It's been cool to connect and you know, find that we have some mutual friends as well. But really, I kind of came across yourself through the video that came out with Mr. Porter a couple months ago. Um, I'm kind of uh, curious, you know, to hear from your side, you know, how that um, has sort of opened things up. And I'm sure you've received a lot of messages and and what that experience has been like for you sharing something so vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, um, thanks for having me on firstly. And um, yeah, it's finally good to connect, obviously. Um, I've bought every issue of infantry that was ever ever released, so um, it's kind of nice to to finally talk to you and uh, and have a connection after um, you know being so influenced by those uh, by those publications um, years ago. So yeah, it's finally uh, good to connect. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. What were you doing for work and sort of in the world through the years of inventory? If I, if you don't mind sharing, like how did you come across it? I was actually working for um, Folk at the time um, in London. And uh, I think I bought my first copy from um, Alban. I think they were stockists. um, And that's when I first picked Mm -hmm. it up. And then, uh, yeah, kind of became hooked. And that that was it. And they're they're still on my bookshelf to this day. They're still, still there. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Alban especially was like one of the biggest sort of supporters early on and brought a lot of magazines into into London and 
definitely like a lot of gratitude to them. And it's been cool to also reconnect with James, like on this new sort of journey and platform as well uh, with him sort of, you know, as we get older, I guess it's not that uncommon that there's this evolution of, you know, how we approach life and the different sort of aspects we start digging into. Definitely a hundred percent agree with that. So, um, yeah, I mentioned the Mr. Porter video where, you know, you talk about depression and cycling and this journey that you went through and, um, you know, I'm curious just to know the experience of, of sharing that message in such a big platform. And was that, was that challenging for you and how is sort of the, the, uh, and I don't know if aftermath is the right word, but response been, um, I mean, to be honest, it wasn't that difficult uh, during the filming of the film. And when I was having to do some of the voiceover stuff and, um, cause I'd been quite, um, uh, what's the word to use? I'd been quite forward and out there on my Instagram already up to that point. And if anybody mm-hmm. had followed me, they'd kind of seen what I'd gone through because I'd been quite vocal um, on Instagram about my you know, struggles with depression and, and how I was dealing with it. So the, the initial, you know, making the film was pretty easy, to be honest. I didn't really struggle with that. I must admit, the morning I got up that it was going to be released, I was full of kind of fear you know because I thought how was it going to be received by people and I think we all know that the internet can be a quite (laughs) you know horrible mean place with some of the people that sit behind keyboards and and hammer away so I was really nervous the day um, the day come out more nervous than than the actual filming and and making of making the piece so um but thankfully the reception was amazing and um you know, I'm still getting messages now. I think that come out in August, if I'm not mistaken. I think kind mm-hmm. of beginning of August, and I still get messages weekly from people that are only just seeing it, kind of saying thank you and um, and how it's helped them. So it's quite humbling. Um, uh, and um, yeah, the response has been amazing. And obviously, Mr. Porter sold um, out of the jerseys that were made for the movie for charity um, for Health in Mind, which is kind of um, you know helping men lead a you know, a healthier, a healthier and better life. Um, so yeah, overall it's been amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's great, like, you know, sharing through Instagram and then sharing through a platform like that. And I think you say in the, in the film, you know, there's, you can't really do much about it unless you sort of have awareness and admit that you have an issue to deal with. And often that takes seeing somebody else admit that and then you know that can sort of spark the inspiration to look inside a little bit and you know it's just this ripple effect then every time somebody's a bit more vulnerable it allows other people to be a bit more vulnerable and I think you know it's such a it's such yeah, a powerful I mean, thing had a, you know that we yeah I mean I've definitely had um you know people message me and and tell tell me that they've gone on to kind of admit the issues and the problems they're dealing with from seeing the film and um you know people that haven't seen it yet might go back and and watch it i've been dealing with depression since my early teens and and hadn't admitted it fully um you know swept it under the carpet and did all the other things that you do when you're when you're suffering you know self-medication and all the other stuff that goes along with that Mm -hmm. um and like you say it wasn't until i kind of admitted it that i've I wouldn't say, you know, I'm better because I do still suffer and I still take um, antidepressants and I still have the bad days, but um, it's put me on to the path of dealing with things in a better way. And um, I am finding things a little bit easier now. Like I say, things do still get 
darker point, but, um, you know, admitting it was the first step to, um, you know, trying to deal with it properly, which I, I hadn't been doing before. It was, um, you know, just being swept under the carpet, like I, um, like I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's so natural as well. I mean, we just, we don't really want to feel that, feel that pain, but something I was reading recently is, uh, you know, when we, when we numb ourselves to the pain by sweeping that stuff away, we also numb ourselves to the higher joys of life as well. Um, exactly. yeah, I wonder that's now true. with this sort of, you know, ability to look back on your, on your journey, um, can you see, like, you know, you mentioned starting with, uh, feeling depression when you're a teenager, like, do you see some of the things that sort of brought this upon, um, growing up and where that sort of came from? Um, I mean, I still, I, I still haven't put my finger fully on it and, and why I started to feel like this, but you know, there's certainly points in my life where, you know, the depression was probably exasperated or, um, I didn't go and get help. Um, again, in the article that goes along with the the film, you know, I talk about the relationship I had with my father when I was first dealing with this and, um, you know, some of the things he said to me and which made me block, not necessarily block, but I didn't go and get help like I probably should have, um, you know, back in my early teens because my father was very much um, as it was back then, you know. There wasn't really a thing as depression it wasn't looked upon as an illness it was you know somebody's a little bit sad and you just get on with it and it wasn't you know taken as serious as it is now it was very much um you know pull your socks up you know you're just you're just having a bad day kind of get on with it and and i think that exasperated the um the issue and then it just you know snowballed from there really until um you know, in the film, I explain. You know, it got to the point where I tried to take my own life, and um, that's kind of when I realised, you know, I really needed to, you know, get some get some help. You know. Hmm. Hmm. Um. So, what would you say? You know, the biggest pieces of help. It sounds like having community around you and people just showing that they care was was such a big piece of that. But were there other elements in terms of? either practices or, you know, things like journaling or meditating outside of, uh, outside of, uh, what you've kind of shared already? Actually, for me, I think being so open on Instagram was, you know, almost a form of, um, mm-hmm. oh, maybe meditation is not the right word, but yeah, a form of, you know, journaling, everything that I was going through once I'd, um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I woke up on new year's day, 2017, um, and that's, I wrote a piece on Instagram and kind of said, I'm, you know, suffering, um, with depression. And that was my way of, um, admitting it in the, you know, out in the open and making sure I went and got help. Cause before I'd, I told a partner that I was seeing at the time, but I didn't really take it any further than that. I thought that was enough. And that's all I had to do was just tell, tell whoever I was with at the time. And that would be enough. And obviously it wasn't. And that relationship ended and, um, you know, like I say, 2017, New Year's, no, 2018, sorry, New Year's Day. Um, I wrote a big piece on Instagram and the outpouring of support I got from that was amazing. And I just carried on, you know, as I going through the early stages and the darkest parts, I, I wrote it all out on Instagram and that was quite cathartic and um, was one of the, the pieces of the puzzle, you know, to help me through those first um first few months of um of of getting 
you know, better or on the on the path to getting better, um, along with the running and going to see a counsellor and the antidepressants. It was all a part of uh, the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, it's it, it was cool in the film how you mentioned how you felt like social media saved your life in a way, and I feel like that is a very sort of like public journaling sort of expression. Um, you know, and I feel like social media can get such a bad rap as well, right? Like there's so much negative stuff. There's the social dilemma documentary that's out, but it sounds like you've had a mostly really positive experience with it in terms of that sort of support and being able to share. And I think it's, you know, it's great when a platform like that can be used in such a positive way. Yeah. I definitely think, um, you know, social media gets a bad rep probably maybe it deserves it maybe there's you know there's not enough good that comes from it and there's more bad oh, I don't really know I mean that's probably another discussion for another another day and another podcast but for me <laughs> it's um you know it's been a great help and like you say in the film I do say it did save my life because if I hadn't have wrote that you know that message on New Year's Day mm-hmm. who knows where I'd be or you know what would have gone on so that was definitely the the catalyst and and then it's it's helped me since and um i still do journal on there from time to time when i'm having a bad you know a bad time i will i will write it down there and you know i'm I'm, like i say i'm an open book now i um instagram is a massive filter and most people only put the really you know the really good bits on Mm -hmm. there but i'm quite um if i'm having a bad day i'll be i'll be pretty open about it so um i definitely still use it in that sense yeah that's great yeah, New Year's Day 2018 is not even very long ago. No, yeah, what nearly nearly three years? Yeah, coming up to three years. Um, this this yeah. well, this January. Uh, so yeah, it's still um, it's still quite fresh. And and like I say, as to people, I am still trying to figure out, you know, my head and what goes on inside it. I wouldn't say I'm, um, you know. I don't even know if this is the right phrase to use better, if that's a, a phrase you use for this. Um, <laughs> I do really still struggle at times. And like I say, I still speak to a counsellor and, and I am still on antidepressants. So I'm still trying to figure things out. And um, I think with depression, um, as you said earlier, when we you know mature and your life situation changes, uh, things will probably affect me differently. And and you know and and start other triggers so it's all about a balance and learning how to um you know how to deal with things i think the analogy that i use quite a lot is you know the black dog is banded around with depression and it's you know i'm learning to throw that stick away a bit further and it takes a little bit longer for the dog to bring it back but it always does come back at at some point and it you know it's there (laughs) at your feet and drops the stick again and you have to you know, throw it a bit further. So that's kind of, you know, how I see things and, and how I deal with things. Yeah, that's a that's a great like metaphor for sure. I mean, I think it is such a such a practice, right? You know, the idea of there's not like an end point of being better or being healthy forever. You know, it's like just it's constantly a practice. And even if we can sort of overcome some pieces or wounds or something like that, then, you know, I feel like the universe, you know, once we gain that strength and ability the universe is going to bring us the next challenge, you know, and it usually like the deeper we get, the more challenging it gets. Um, but exactly. just the more awareness, it's just hopefully more rich, you know, and we learn that we have the strength to overcome the dark days and we know that there'll be brighter days ahead. And it's learning to That's go it. with I the mean, flow yeah. in like an engaged way. 
and it's a, it sounds very cliche, but I, I didn't really, you know, start to 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 get a grip of this until I realised that I I wouldn't probably ever be fully better. And like you say, it it was going to be a fact of, you know, learning to deal with it and grasp things. And you know, like you say, life throws up different challenges and and that will affect you in different ways. And it's about realising that, you know, you will learn to deal with them, but you probably will, you know never be fully over this and it is and that's when I that's when it kind of clicked and and things started to to get a little easier and you know I took the next step to um you know on the on the the journey of learning to how to to deal with this whole situation yeah I think something for myself that I definitely still struggle with is like this idea of perfectionism you know and being healthy being perfect you know like looking a certain way there's so many elements to it and it's just completely unrealistic and also everybody's idea of what's perfect is totally different from everyone else's so when we can kind of let go of getting to this place of perfection there's like a weight that can like kind of come off come off our backs a little bit and be like oh like that's not what I need to be looking for or striving for, you know, and it's, it's about just being in where I'm at right now. And it's, it's really hard because I still get caught in that and then it can just send you off and like, you know, it can just feel like you're carrying this weight that's impossible to get off you. But the funny thing is we have the ability to take it off whenever we want. That's it. Definitely. I think everybody is, like you say, no matter what you what you say, I think everybody falls into that trap of being, um, you know, trying to be perfect. And, and again, it's a bit of a cliche, but I guess all we can try and be is the best, you know, the best version of ourselves. And I think don't, nobody's ever going to reach perfection. I think that's um, it's pretty unrealistic. So it is just about being the best, you know, the best you. And um, like I say, I, I've, I've mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of, I'm happy and in the fact that I know I'm never going to be perfect. And, um, I think we'll all be a little rough around the edges until, until the day we, um, you know, they finally nail the casket uh, on top of us. You know, that is, that's just, that is life. And, um, you know, I'm very lucky that I've, you know, found somebody that is, um, you know, happy to deal with my imperfection and, and my rough edges. And I think, um, that's all we can hope for, you know, in life is to, you know, to find that, that person that's, um, you know, willing to deal whatever, whatever rough edges we have and I'm very lucky in that sense yeah I feel lucky with that as well I wonder you know we've obviously both kind of spent a good portion of our lives working in the fashion space in terms of careers I wonder how you find that has sort of affected that journey and um, it it seems like you're still working in, in the fashion industry and like how you sort of are able to navigate that now in a different way if at all yeah, I mean, I'm still working in fashion now. I'm working for uh, Richard James, managing their store um, on Savile Road. But I think, um, you know, going back before I'd admitted what was happening, I think, um, you know, working in retail, it's obviously customer facing and, you know, you're working with, you know, your team members and staff members. Um, and for me, it was just a big front for eight hours a day, um, you know, because you couldn't go to work and, you know, be openly depressed because you were serving customers yeah. and and you know staff members so it's kind of you had to put this front on which I did for uh for years you know I was happy 
happy-go-lucky Leon laughing and joking and dancing around the shop. And I, I, I am that guy, but I was also, you know, hiding and, and suffering, you know, with other things going on. And, um, you know, I just got into this habit of putting that front on for eight hours a day. And then when I got home and, you know, I was, you know, with the next partner, you know, then I would go home and the real me would come out and that just, you know, wasn't, wasn't good for me and wasn't good for them. And, um, you know, obviously that relationship ended and, um, you know, now I am a, um, I'm an open book at work, obviously not so much with the customers. It's not the first thing I tell them when they come through the door, but, um, you know, if I'm having a bad day, I'm honest with the staff and, and they're really supportive as well. I'm really lucky to work for a great company who supported me through all of this because I was working for Richard James at, at, at that point when I kind of admitted what was going on and they were really supportive. And again, the staff all are as well. If I am having a bad day, I, I tell them and they, you know, they don't leave me alone, but they know it's nothing they've done and I'm, I just get on with what I need to get on with. And um, that's definitely been one of the biggest you know parts of um of help for me because now when i get home i'm not that person you mm-hmm. know that takes you out on the one you love you know when you get home so um yeah i wonder if like you know yourself being in that position and you're a leader of of your team and of the staff there does that help them be able to share a little bit more about what they're going through with you as well yeah, I've, again, definitely had members of staff come up to me, and I, I won't mention any names on the podcast, um, but, um, you know, I've had members of staff come up to me and, and say that they've, you know, struggling too, whether it be with depression or anxiety or or any other things, and, and they talk to me probably a lot more than they did before um, about personal things, so it's definitely helped on that on that front as well, um, that we can, um, we can all talk about our, you know, troubles a bit more now they know you know what I've been through and that I've been so open with it so um, I think it's made for a better working environment as well I think yeah I would imagine so I think you know having somebody who's who's a leader who's showing that that's okay and that it's safe to share that you know it just creates such a more bonded richer uh, relationship and environment you know and I think like you said even you know just not taking something personally if you know somebody's got something else going on in their life is like such a common thing that people can spiral out about for hours or days, um, you know, and just being clear and that clear communication is so helpful. That's definitely, um, you know, been one of the biggest things is I'm, I'm you know, clear with everyone. And, and again, Jess now, my fiance, if I'm having a bad day, I'll, you know, I'll try and convey it to her that, you know, it isn't anything she's done. I am just having a, you know, a down day and, um, you know, things will get better, but sometimes I just need to be, you know, kind of left, um, left alone to try and figure out. Um, and like I say, throw that stick away and, um, you know, shake off the black dog. So, um, you know, being honest and being open is probably the, been the biggest factor in, um, you know, my journey so far. Yeah. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about, um, you know, growing up, I guess, like, have you, how, have you lived in London for a long time or, did you live in the, in England your whole life? So I've, yeah, I've lived in England my whole life. Uh, grew up in Birmingham, which is um, which is in the Midlands, uh, the mid- middle of the country. Um, and I've been in London now for uh, coming up to thirteen years, um, I think. Yeah, about thirteen years now. Uh, moved for um, for work um, 
because as most people probably know, if you want to work in retail, kind of London is, you know, in the UK is the is the mecca and it's kind of where you need to be to, to work in any, um, you know, half decent shop. So um, I got myself to London and um, yeah, I'm still here. Um, but yeah, spent spent the first part of my life in um, in Birmingham, which is the second biggest city yeah, in the UK. And growing up, were you were you playing sports and, and running or cycling or anything like that? um as a as a kid and in your early 20s um yeah as a kid it was football and boxing um back home i didn't get into cycling until kind of my late 20s when i'd moved to um when i'd moved to london after i stopped getting um you know punched in the face for a hobby (laughs) um i decided to um to to ride my bike um and then yeah kind of fell in love with that and that became a you know massive part of my life until um, until I had a quite a bad accident coming up to three years ago, which was kind of one of the catalysts of, um, you know, that real dark period I had that led up to me being so, um, so open. I broke my arm in six places, um, on some black ice and had to have that pinned together. Um, yeah. And that was kind of, yeah, one of the, the straw that broke the camel's back really and put me into quite a dark place, obviously. Um, as I used to use the bike as a tool, you know, to deal with the depression. And, and once that was taken away from me, it was kind of like having the rug pulled out from underneath you kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that on some, some levels for sure. Like I tore my ACL a couple of years ago and it's just, I haven't really been able to run the same for the last couple of years. And, you know, it's just this huge tool that is, you know, for getting out and moving my body. Um, also like part of my identity in a way, part of my community, in a way that you that gets sort of taken away from you and um it's it's really challenging on on more levels than i sort of thought it would be to start with um so yeah i wonder how did how did that feel you know having that sort of because with cycling there's so much community around that and there's so much there's there's the exercise there's you know yourself yourself as an athlete um you know overcoming overcoming all that stuff it was quite difficult at first because, you know, you, you, again, one of the bad things about social media is everybody's yeah. posting their rides and probably like you, you, you see everybody going out for a run and you're not doing it. And, you know, that could be quite a, um, you know, a difficult thing to look at. And then you've got the other things, Strava and people posting what they've been doing and out running and out riding. And so at first it was quite difficult, but I did have a lot of support from the, you know, the guys that I know in cycling community and, still got to hang out with them not necessarily on the bike but I was still you know made to feel part of it I wasn't kind of left on the side because I couldn't ride a bike um but I luckily found running um which kind of helped um steady the ship um until I could ride again I signed up for a half marathon um just to keep myself off the sofa and, and try and keep my head um, in some kind of straight space and, and do some exercise and I luckily fell in love with running as well I, I didn't think I would and um, you know still run quite a lot now and that's how I met Jess who's now my fiance. so um, something cool. good did come out of not riding the bike and um, putting trainers on instead so yeah I've st- I still enjoy um, the running now and I'm starting to ride the bike a bit more now my arm's kind of fully healed nice yeah, I wanted to also just like touch on on the boxing piece because I feel like, you know, boxing is is such a incredible sport 
and art form and the sort of combination of strength and quickness and nuance and the subtleties of it are amazing. But unfortunately, like you said, getting punched in the head is also a part of it. I wonder, you know, if that and maybe like concussions have, you know, potentially contributed to the depression that you've been navigating. Um, is that something you've looked into or uh, had to overcome like throughout boxing? Um, I, I mean, I have been concussed in the past through it and it's definitely something I've, I've also thought about now with, you know, with suffering with depression and whether that was a factor. Um, I mean, I don't know if I change anything and if I go back and, and not do it again, I think I would still do it all over again. Cause I met some, you know, amazing people whilst doing it and some great friends who are still, you know, who are still great friends. And I think, um, maybe boxing does get a bit of a bad rep and a lot of people think it's just guys that want to go to a gym and, you know, hurt each other. And, um, that's totally not, um, not, you know, what it's about. And I think if you go to the right gym, um, you know, you're taught that that's not what it's about. And like you say, I mean, boxing can be a beautiful sport when you see it done, done properly, as weird as that sounds, because it's two guys trying to, you know, punch each other in the face. But, um, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. And I think people realise, I think boxing is more the art of not getting hit than the art of hitting somebody, <laughs> if that kind of makes any um, any sense. So that was certainly taught to me at the gym that I went to. It was more about, yeah, you don't want to, you want to try not to get punched. And um, so, yeah, but it definitely has played on my mind, you know, with what I've gone through lately and whether that has affected me in, um, in some way. But um yeah again i don't think i'd change it and would i ever let my you know children box if if i have any that's a discussion that i'd probably have to have with my other <laughs> half as well but um it, it it's great for discipline i would definitely recommend it to um to anyone cause it definitely taught me um you know a lot of things discipline wise and um again anger wise because you do get very angry when somebody hits you but it's about you know containing that you know anger and not you know losing your temper because that's you know how you lose a fight and stuff mm -hmm. so it's very good in terms of um in that sense as well you know about you know learning to to control things so um yeah there's a lot that can be learned you know in the um in the ring um so yeah i, I definitely wouldn't change anything on my part yeah yeah, I mean, I, did, I have so much respect for, for boxers and people doing that. I actually, I had torn my my other ACL about like seven years ago, I think. And part of my rehab was, was getting into boxing. But like I never actually fought somebody. You know, I got right to the point where the gym I was going to, you had to go and get like a note from the doctor to like approve that you could like go in there and start getting a hit in the head basically. And I got right to that stage and then something kind of shifted and changed. But <laughs> even just in the, the practice and the training up until that point, like I really enjoyed it a lot. And yeah, I think it's, you know, there is such an interesting mental game, you know, to keep yourself in that calm state to be able to, you know, react from a place of clarity and not be like emotionally swayed. You know, there's, there's so much nuance and like richness to that sport. There is, I think, and um, and maybe unless you've you know been involved in it in some way, that's you know a lot of people don't realise that they 
probably comes across as just two guys trying to um, knock each other's heads off, um, you know, which yeah. is not what it's um, what it's all about. But yeah, as you say, I think um, yeah, that there, there has to be some kind of. I think a lot of people get to the point where you got to, and I think there's a switch that you kind of need to get in the ring, maybe to to want to get punched and to to want to punch somebody else. Not not a not a bad thing, but I think you just there is another level that you um, you have to go to, and it isn't for um, it isn't for everyone. I've certainly um, all the years that I've been involved in it, seen people come to the gym that, um, you know, they're all a lot of bravado and, you know, and as soon as they get in the ring and get punched for the first time, you kind of see, you kind of see something leave their body and they, um, you, you can kind of tell when somebody's going to come back to the gym and if they're not going to come back to the gym that first time they get punched properly, you kind of, you can tell straight away most of the time. Yeah. Well, I think that's a beautiful thing. I mean, it obviously happens in, uh, in many aspects of life, but, you know, especially with sport, you know, doing a new sport can be very humbling, I think. And that's, you know, a great process to go through, you know, this sort of idea of beginner's mind and learning something and realizing, okay, I'm actually starting from the beginning with this, you know, and I'm, you know, it's so easy for me to be like, okay, well, I'm, you know, at this level with this other part of my life. So if I'm going to start boxing or cycling, then I just want to like automatically be at this like intermediate or advanced stage already. But it can be quite humbling to realize, oh, actually, you know, I've, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, yeah, I'm starting all over again here. Yeah, it's definitely like that. In I mean, again, going, going back to cycling and running, when I first had the accident and started to run, I thought, ah, oh, well, you know, I ride 200k in a ride, so surely a 10k run is going to be, that's going to be nothing to me. I'll be able to do that, you know, first run. And um, yeah, that was definitely a humbling experience when you get to kind of 3k and it feels like you have done a 200k <laughs> ride and you've you've only got 3k down the road. It's, um, yeah, sometimes, um, like you say, t- you know, your skill in one sport or one part of life is not always uh, transferable straight away to um, to something else. So yeah, um, yeah, I've definitely been humbled a few times when it comes to running and, and cycling. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I wanted to you know get into the cycling piece. Obviously, you know the the film that came out that we've been referring to your cycling and that you've been featured in you know a bunch of Rafa campaigns. It seems like. Um, and just, you know, from looking at your Instagram and, you know, hearing that you're going on 200K rides, uh, you've obviously gotten to a certain stage, um, you know, and I think I shared with you on Instagram when we were messaging, like, I just got a bike and I've, you know, just started getting into it now. And uh, I'm super excited. But, you know, I wonder about what your process was when you first kind of got a bike and started riding. And because now you've been you've been riding with some of the top cyclists in the country over there, it seems like as well. So, you know, what has that sort of progression been like? And have there been any sort of big lessons or teachings or tips that you could share? Uh, I actually got a bike. Um, I bought a bike to do a charity ride with a friend um, when I was living in, well, when I not long got to London. And unfortunately that um, charity ride never materialized. So I had a road bike sitting in the flat and I was just going to become one of the commuter masses and kind of ride to work on it. And um, I was very lucky that um, somebody walked into the shop who now is a very good friend of mine, Rob Saunders, who I actually think might have been in um, 
uh, issue of um, inventory as a model, actually, if I if I remember correctly, I might have to dig that out and send you send you a snap. But I'm sure he was in um, in an issue at some point. Um, so yeah, I met him when I was working at Folk, and um, you know he's been cycling for years, and I was very lucky that he took me under, kind of took me under his wing, and I started riding with him, and much like the running, fell in love with it, and um, you know went from riding around Regent's Park to you know, getting out into the lanes and doing 50k to 100k and it just carried on and, and snowballed and um, yeah, I was very lucky to get asked um, on a raffer shoot in 2013, um, asked to do one of their lookbooks and um, kind of been involved with them ever since and still very humbled and very feel very lucky to get asked along on, um, you know, on their shoots because they're probably... Uh, the biggest kind of brand out there at the moment cycling wise you know they're mm-hmm. um they're huge so to still get to work for them is um you know is is very humbling and i'm very honored to still um get to go and ride my bike in beautiful places with people that i am um, you know class as close friends now so um i've been quite lucky yeah that's cool um and sort of like as you got into it i imagine things just got a little bit more serious and serious in terms of you know the gear the like tracking of the stats, Strava, things like that. I wonder what that sort of journey was like for you. Yeah, I, I, it's, um, you know, I started off with a half decent bike and then when I finally realized that, um, you know, I'd, I'd kind of fell in love with it, you know, you upgrade and, you know, before you know it, you're spending silly money on parts for your bike. And like you say, you start, you know, looking at your heart rate a bit more and cadence and power and it can all get, um, it can be quite a lot of numbers swirling around your head. And, um, yeah, I've kind of backed off a bit from that now because, um, you know, in a way, sometimes it can take a bit of the enjoyment away from it. You know, if you start concentrating on um, on the numbers a bit much, and I was finding that, that, um, that the enjoyment was was ebbing away from things a little bit. I think it um, kind of had to tell myself that I wasn't doing it for a living and I'm not a pro and I don't need to beat myself up every day if, you know, if I'm not feeling too good or if I'm not pushing out a certain number and, um, yeah, I've kind of gone back to that now with the riding. I'm just riding because I love doing it and, um, you know, and, and just going for a ride and a coffee and a cannoli is like, you know, um, pretty enjoyable now. I've, um, stepped away from, uh, numbers and stuff like that. Yeah. And I've been very lucky that, um, you know, managed to ride with people like, you know, Bradley Wiggins, who's a, you know, Tour de France winner and, you know, uh, now a friend of mine, uh, Theo Gegenhart, you know, just run the Giro a few weeks ago, um, Hackney boy, um, you know, I've got to ride with him, you know, um, and he's a close friend. So I've, I've got to experience some amazing stuff um, on the bike. So I'm very lucky in that sense. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I have like a very like crystal memory of when I was living in New York a few years ago, throwing my running watch in the garbage. I just got so tired of like waiting it for it to sink and watching it and like thinking about it. And I was like, I just need to run to like move my body and like, you know, go across the earth. And, um, you know, it's, it's, there's a balance, I think, there for sure that's, that's healthy, especially for those of us that are not professionals. But, it can be fun, you know, and inspire us to like push our boundaries, but yeah, you don't want to get lost in it and like intellectualize this like, you know, pure expression that we're really going for. No, that's it. I think, um, 
you know, it is like you say, it's great to push yourself and have a target and have numbers to hit. But I think it's also good sometimes, like you say, to just, you know, take the watch off or, you know, take the cycling computer up, which I do sometimes, or not even turn it on and just go and run and ride your bike. Because, you know, it's too, well, running is probably one of the most, you know, basic things a human can do. So I think sometimes it's good to just take that watch off and, and just go and do it. And like you say, and just, you know, cover the earth and um with your feet and again cycling just take the computer off and just turn the pedals and mm-hmm. kind of get lost in wherever you're cycling to and not lost in the numbers and um that's pretty uh it's pretty amazing to just do that sometimes and uh, not worry about anything yeah um and so have you got into doing any races like official races either running or cycling over the years or maybe thinking about combining the two so um yeah, I've done a uh, London Marathon and um, Chicago Marathon last year in 2019 and, um, you know, lots of 10Ks and 5Ks um, and that will, well, <laughs> will continue once we're um, out of Corona. Obviously, a lot mm-hmm. of the marathons this year um, have been cancelled. I was due to run London again um, and that was cancelled a few times. The date was moved and then uh, it was fully cancelled. So I've got a place for next year. So I will have to start putting some serious miles in again at some point. Um, so, yeah, I will definitely, um, you know, do some more racing. But again, this year, because of what's happened with Corona, mm-hmm. I've just really enjoyed running and not having, you know, an end goal. It's been quite nice just to run for running sake instead of putting pressure on yourself all the time. So, um, yeah, as, as bad as this year has been, um, you know, I've, I've taken, you know, some solace from just running and not having... Um, any time pressures or constraints on my head kind of thing yeah yeah that's cool it's definitely nice it can be very freeing i think to just get back to the sort of purity of the sport which is cool but you know as you mentioned you with the with the marathon coming up i'm curious to know do you have you know do you ever work with a coach or anything like that or do you have a training program that you have found that works for you yeah so i've got a coach um a guy called lewis um who's um an ex gb athlete as well um he's, a, he's a, an amazing gb athlete a kind of um great 5k runner and um having a coach has been great for you know for structure and um i've never been one to struggle to get up and do a session but it's nice to be able to go and have a chat um to somebody after a session and, and have them have their take on it because i think um i think if you're your own coach you can maybe tend not to push yourself as much as you should or, or maybe not set the bar as high as you as you probably should so it's quite nice to go and bounce ideas off um off somebody else who knows a little bit more about the sport than you so i would definitely recommend if um you know anyone's running and wants to take it to to the next level i think having a coach is um is great and it does make you a little bit more accountable for um getting out and getting things done if you do struggle a bit having somebody write a plan for you and having to answer them when you haven't gone and done it is, Mm -hmm. uh, is probably a good thing. Yeah, I agree. I think especially like over this whole COVID lockdown, uh, like in LA, all the gyms and stuff are closed. Uh, you know, running groups aren't really, haven't been going on stuff like that. So it's been so much of just like doing things on my own, you know, working out in my bedroom or my office and, um, you know, it's, it, you can easily like drift off track I feel like and it's been more recently where I'm like okay I need to like get some more structure and it's really it is challenging to do that for yourself yeah 
having the outside perspective, you know, and obviously like more somebody who knows more than you, but having that, having their perspective and that accountability is just so, uh, so helpful. Yeah. I, I imagine similar with cycling in some ways, you know, it's probably a lot easier to go on a 200 K ride with a few people than it is by yourself. Yeah. I, I must admit I've never done, um, you know, I've never done any 200k rides on my own. I think that would be a little bit too lonely for me. I've, uh, I think maybe 120 or 130k is the longest I've done on my own, and that can be a bit of a, uh, um, you know, a bit of a slug, especially in the winter. Not so much in the summer when the sun's out, but um, those long rides in the winter can be quite even more lonely when you're doing them on your own. So, um, yeah, yeah, uh, lockdown's been tough when you haven't been able to ride with anyone. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit harder to get out the door. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I wonder even on like a more of a practical sense, you know, as somebody now that I'm just like getting into cycling, do you have any any tips for me? Any like suggestions, you know, either on like technique or things that you maybe didn't think about, but learned as you started, you know, riding with these more advanced riders and things like that? it's the little things like you know um, making sure you're wearing the you know the right clothing i was kind of one of those cyclists that um at first thought it it was uh, it made you the bigger man to go out with just cycling shorts on when it was one degree outside and you know freezing cold but um i sent you know soon got put in my place you know leg warmers and you know all the right kit is is um is a must so definitely on that sense is you know make making sure you're prepared and um uh i definitely got shouted at a few times leaving the house with no pump and then getting a puncture and you've you've got no way of uh you know schoolboy errors and not being able to pump your tires up luckily i've always been with somebody else but it's just the little stuff um like that and i'm um you know got a bit of ocd about getting kit ready the night before so you you know, you're set to go in the morning. It's all those little, uh, those little things that um, that I re- really try and stick to. Um, what else? I also, uh, you know, little tips like when it's wet outside, also wrap your feet in cling film before you put them in your cycling shoes to help keep your feet dry. Mm. It's all those little things that I learned from riding with people that have been doing it a lot longer than me. So um, I was quite lucky that, uh, you know, I got taken under the wing by some um you know, pretty well, pretty good cyclist, really. Yeah. How have you found the, the like community in general in terms of like being welcoming to somebody who's kind of sick and getting into it? Um, you know, like you said, even you've, you've rode with some of, some of the best riders in the world and like, is it a generally pretty welcoming group or can people be a little bit like weary of, of people joining in i mean i've definitely heard stories of people that, that that haven't had the nicest introduction into cycling but again i think um i'm probably one of the lucky ones that i was um kind of you know to welcome in like welcomed in with open arms kind of thing i was very lucky to to meet the people that i met and started riding with the guys that i started riding with because everybody was super um you know, super welcoming and super nice to me. I, I never really had any of that, um, you know, animosity, which you can, you know, I have seen and not, not directly to myself, but I've definitely seen it in the cycling community and, um, you know, heard stories of it. So I've, yeah, I've been very lucky in that sense that, um, yeah, nobody was, uh, nobody was nasty to me. <laughs> That's good. 
I imagine if if you're getting into it like you know with some respect and and like honest ambition that people are going to be a little bit more open than come in with too much bravado or something as well. Yeah, I think that's. Um, I think one thing about cycling, um, you know, you do get a lot of people that um, you know buy a bike and think they know everything straight away, and um, you know. Uh, they don't and and sometimes they don't want to listen and um I, I guess that can be quite frustrating for uh for cyclists that have been doing it for years um like i say i was um you know taught the ropes and i learned and listened so maybe that was yeah why i was uh you know welcomed um mm. into the fold i um learned from my mistakes and didn't make them again kind of thing yeah well that's a probably a pretty good lesson for life in general exactly yeah that's it <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And have you got to travel around and ride in like different countries around Europe or in America? Unfortunately, I haven't got to America yet on my bike. Um, I'd love to. Um, you know, I know a few of the, the well, ex-Rafa guys now that are out in Portland and um, I know a few guys in LA and, um, you know, I've always, um, you know, threatened to come over there with a bike but never kind of um, made it happen. So hopefully... Um, once COVID is out of the way and we can travel a bit more freely, um, I will I will get over there with the with the bike at some point. But yeah, loads of riding in Europe, um, Italy and uh, Belgium, France, places like that. You know the um, hotbeds for European cycling, um, Spain, and um, I've cycled um, in those places a lot. But yeah, yet to uh, yet to get across um, to America. So 2021, hopefully you, you might see me on a bike somewhere in the states. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. But you have been over here a bit. You mentioned you did the uh, Chicago Marathon. Yep, did Chicago last year. Um, you know, I've been to New York more than once. Um never got to um never got to the West Coast. That's still somewhere that I do want to um want to get to. I'm a, I'm a massive San Francisco 49ers fan, so I would love to get <laughs> to to San Francisco at some point. Uh, not that we're doing so great this year. Uh, we won't speak about that too much. I'm dreading we're playing the Packers tonight and I think we might get um, beat quite badly again. So, yeah, this season's not going so great after reaching the Super Bowl last year. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I guess that's the thing with American football. You can get to the Super Bowl one year and not even make the playoffs the next. It's so uh, it's so unpredictable, which is kind of one of the reasons why I love it. You don't really get, um, you know teams dominate as much as certain other sports i mean you have somebody like the the patriots but uh, that doesn't happen all that often so um so yeah san francisco is a place i'd love to get to yeah yeah for sure i mean i i actually really got into the nfl the last like couple years after not really following it that much and i'm it's been actually really fun to learn the sport because it's so complex and there's like you said you know like one year to the next year it's it's such a puzzle, you know, the amount of injuries, obviously, you know, the 49ers with like Bosa getting injured and some yeah. of the key guys. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's incredible. And then you've got like, you know, the division the 49ers are in is really good. Yeah. I mean, that is pretty <laughs> stacked at the moment. It's, um, yeah. I mean, it looks like the Seahawks are, uh, are going to kind of, run away well maybe not run away with it but they're certainly going to take top spot um but yeah it's a hard division to get out of that um yeah 
Um, unlike the the division the Cowboys are in, which is pretty, pretty <laughs> terrible this season, <laughs> but, um, with some of the some of the games I've watched, it's kind of like yeah, somebody would probably get out of that with a terrible record into the playoffs. Yeah, well, I was gonna say if it makes you feel any better, I've I'm a Cowboys fan, so this this has been a nightmare of a season. Especially. Uh, well, it's, it might be us the, and the two teams from New York vying for the uh, number one draft pick this season by yeah. the looks of it, the way things are going. So, um, Or maybe the Falcons as well, because they can't hold on to a lead this year. Yeah. So. But again, that's kind of why I um, I really enjoy it, because, um, you know, you have the salary cap, so you can't have, you know, you know, like football, whoever has the most money just buys up everybody and wins. It is really a puzzle of, you know, the trades and... Uh, you're trading up and trading down mm-hmm. the trade deadlines. Um, I really enjoy that because it can um, switch your season on the head with a couple of trades, you know, and you can be right back in it. So, um, yeah, I've been following it since the 80s, the, the the first boom in the UK and stuck with the 49ers ever since then, kind of. So I will hold my hands up and say I was a bit of a glory hunter back then because they were winning stuff in the 80s and that's probably why <laughs> I picked them. But been following them ever since through... Uh, through the good and the bad so um yeah yeah well i think that's you know it's interesting like I, same with me and the cowboys like in the 90s you know i loved Deion sanders and just thought he was amazing like i played baseball as well and just you know his whole persona was so captivating so that's yeah. why i kind of like got stuck in with the cowboys but i think that's interesting you know even culturally um like in the uk versus america you know the the tradition, especially with football to like, or like soccer football to like, you have your team from a young age and you just ride with them forever, you know? And here it's like people are switching teams or you almost like follow players more than a team a lot of the time, which, which is, it's so different I find. And, you know, with football, it's in, in the UK and Europe, it's, it's like, you know, once you've got your team, you can't even, you don't have a choice almost. It's like, you can't change. And I mean, to be honest, you nine times out of 10, you don't even get to make the choice. It's yeah. whoever your father follows you, you know, you're taken to that team. And that was certainly how it was with me. It's, it's very rare to speak to somebody in the UK who doesn't follow their closest, you know, their closest football team. You do get, you know, people that do follow teams from other cities, but nine times out of 10, it's very much, you know, um, one of the local clubs, yeah. um, and that was, you know, what it was for me. So I'm a Birmingham City fan, and I was was I was born just down the road from the ground. My whole family are Birmingham City fans, and I was kind of told, "That's your team. Here's the <laughs> kit. You'll wear it, and that's who you're going to support. Don't even think about, you know, supporting anyone else." And um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of how it is in the UK. It's you kind of yeah, you're to- you're told, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting because I think it's like people. In America, North America, it's like hard to fathom that. And and then the concept that like, okay, if you're going to be a Cowboys fan, you know, and you have a bad season, you, you're not in the NFL next year. You're in like the like lower down league, you know, and like you got to still stick it out and fight That's to even it. get I've, back in. <laughs> that is it. I've seen, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've had more heartbreak with my local team than I have, um, than I have joy, to be honest. But um, I think that's, one of the reasons why um, you know football, you know soccer is um, is so amazing because you do see teams rise from the lowest of the low, you know, to the top, and they can drop back down again. So it's a real roller coaster, um, roller coaster ride. Definitely with the team I support, that's for sure. <laughs> 
Yeah, I can imagine. I've been uh, an Arsenal fan for a while myself. Um, and the last couple of years have been pretty... I mean, like, you know, they're they're in the Premier League, so I can't complain beyond that. But uh, it's not been the most inspired football and run of things. No, I mean, they're probably... Um... I wouldn't say my second team, but they're they're kind of an adopted team for me living in London for so long. And I don't live far away from the Emirates Stadium at the moment and I always have kind of lived, um, you know, in Arsenal territory. And a lot of the friends that I have at work are Arsenal fans. So, um, yeah, that's always a result I look for when the Premiership scores come in is they're the first team that I do um, kind of look for unless unless Birmingham are in the Premiership, but that was a long, long time ago and it probably will be a long time before we're back there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, another thing I wanted to touch on, it's definitely a bit of a change, but, you know, just talking about, like, the cultural differences in, in North America and the UK and Europe, you know, there's been so much going on the last few years with the presidential campaigns here and Brexit over there and, you know, all the sort of social stuff that's boiled up in the last couple of years. And I wonder, you know, what your experience in terms of coming up in fashion, you know, being in sport, you know, being in such a melting pot of a city like London, you know, as well. But then, you know, the increased awareness of these social injustices, racism, things like that. You know, I'm curious to know how your experience has been and what you've seen sort of change over the last few years. Um, I mean, living in London and, um, you know, it's very much an echo chamber here. Um, you know, most, you know, people I know in London and, and most people you see are very much on the side, you know, um, you know, London was predominantly anti-Brexit and, um, you know, massive Black Lives Matter, um, protests and stuff. So, it's kind of weird living here because you don't really see much of the other side of things. So you very rarely meet somebody that, you know, disagrees with you. Everybody I have a chat with normally, um, you know, kind of agrees with, you know, you know, the political standpoint I have. And, um, but I've certainly seen, um, you know, uh, divisions in, in other cities. I mean, in Birmingham, it's quite divided now where I'm from. Um, you know, on the Brexit side of things. And, um, but yeah, uh, it's kind of hard in London because you never really see much of the bad stuff. I mean, obviously, over um, over the summer, we did have some kind of anti-Black Lives Matter marches in here, but they were pretty quickly drowned out by, um, you, you know, by the, the Black Lives Matter side because it is so, so much more um, prevalent down here. I think a lot of the... Um, the anti-Black Lives Matter movement were all kind of from outside of London, you know, they mm -hmm. come down from, from up north. So, um, yeah, here's very much um, an echo chamber of people agreeing with um, with the same sort of things that I do. So it's, it's hard because I don't really leave London that often to see the other side of things, to be honest. You just read about it and yeah. um, see it on the news. Yeah, I mean, I feel similar in a way, especially like when I was in New York, you know, it's very, I feel like it's similar to London in a way. And uh, LA is a little bit different just because everything's a little bit more spread out. And, but, yeah. you know, even just in our social circles here, it feels similar, you know, and it's like, what? Like, it's hard to almost like connect or like understand. And 
I thought, uh, I don't know if you know this, this ultra runner, Ricky Gates, but after the 2016 election in America, he was like, wow, I just like, don't know America. So he like drove out to the East coast and then ran all the way across the country over a couple months to kind of just get to know the country what? and the people in it and get more sort of grounded with that, which I thought was a really cool idea. Because it's, you know, the more that we can do that, then the more we can actually, like, have conversation and have empathy for one another, too. And, you know, that's obviously the huge problem with this, like, division that's been going on is just this lack of understanding for for one another. I mean, well, again, this uh... Like Brexit in 2016, pretty much like, you know, the election you had there. Most people probably didn't see the, you know, the the Donald Trump, uh, uh, you know, thing come in. And, and neither did we here as um, in London because it was so anti-Brexit. Everybody you spoke to was like Remain. And, um, and then when the results come in and then you see the TV and they're speaking to different parts of the country, it was a little bit like, whoa, you know, really didn't know, you know, the UK. I thought everybody was you know, on the same kind of ship, you know, and mm-hmm. I guess that was, uh, you know, the same, you know, with the elections over there. So um, you, you don't really know um, what everybody else is, uh, everybody else is thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on that side, have you seen, you know, progress or positives come out of all this seemingly chaos and chaotic time? Uh, Brexit, I definitely don't think there's been any positives yeah. whatsoever um, from the Brexit vote because one, it still hasn't been resolved. And, um, you know, now I keep reading that we're, you know, hurtling to a no deal Brexit, which is, is, is pretty bad on, on, on more than one front. So, um, I mean, yeah, from, from my point of view, I think, you know, Brexit hasn't really, I can't think of one positive off the top of my head. And maybe if I had a few days to, <laughs> to delve into things, I might be able to find one, but it'd be very minute and very small. Um, yeah, I mean, the divide that it's caused in the country now is, um, you know, is pretty bad. It's probably nowhere near kind of um, some of the other things going on in the world at the moment. But it's, you know, I certainly know it's divided families in certain parts of the country, you know, right down the middle. Um especially mine as well there's definitely some very hard brexiteers on some fronts and um you know there's a, a lot of hard remainers as well so when there's any family get-togethers it's uh brexit is firmly off the table to be spoken about so um <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> yeah. yeah i've I've kind of heard that about people uh like in the uk where it can really divide families like specifically more where it feels like in america the division is not so much like within the family. Usually family units seem to be more on the same page and it's more in like the communities and the racial side of things or, um, yeah, that. Whereas in Brexit, it really feels like it can like break up families, which is really unfortunate as well. Yeah, I mean, like I I wouldn't, I mean, on, on my side, it definitely hasn't, you know, there's been nobody that's decided not to speak to anybody because they're a Brexiteer or a Remainer, but it's definitely, you know, um, there's been a few awkward conversations when you say something because you think everybody agrees with you and then you realise somebody in the family doesn't. There's kind of been a few awkward silences at family get-togethers when you don't, you know, realise you're not all on the same page politically. But, um, but yeah, I think everyone's kind of, you know, got uh, definitely on my side of the family anyway is just, you know, your political is you know whatever you um 
whatever you want and um, mm-hmm. within reason. And, um, you know, we just, we try not to speak about it. So there isn't any major flare ups. Yeah. Well, I guess that's good at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious to know now, you know, we're, I can't believe it's November, but you know, this has been a pretty insane year, 2020, you know, all the, like you were saying, races canceled, obviously all the political stuff, racial stuff going on, you know, if in a dream world we're coming out of some of these darker times and challenges, you know, what are you looking forward to moving forward? Um, getting married because we were due to get married this year and mm-hmm. um, and had to cancel, obviously, due to, to COVID and, and not being able to, to have friends gather. So for me, um, you know, the thing I'm looking forward to the most in 2021 is hopefully finally, um, you know, walking just down the aisle and um, both of us saying I do so that's the that's the biggest thing so fingers crossed um, there's some sort of uh, vaccine and and a, um, a way out of what we're going through at the minute so we can finally um, yeah celebrate yeah yeah I mean congratulations on that you know I just I shared with you too that I just got engaged a couple of weeks ago and it felt like you know a really significant moment in my life, you know, I'd imagined, you know, growing up and getting married and it happens one time and, you know, putting, I was surprised at how scary in getting engaged and proposing to somebody was like, it is this really deep, open, vulnerable position to put yourself in, uh, you know, and traditionally it's the man that's got to do that. I wonder what that experience was for you. Um, yeah. Uh, congratulations as well for, um, <laughs> on your engagement, but yeah, I, I was um, I was so scared. I mean, it took me weeks to get the courage to to phone Jesse's mum and dad. They live quite far north in um, in Scotland, so it's not like I could take a dad to the pub and ask him, you know, over a drink. I had mm-hmm. to kind of phone them one one day. I built up the courage at work, told everybody they were going. I was going to do it, and they were all kind of in the shop window <laughs> watching me as I had this phone call um, to to ask if I could. Um, you know, asked Jess to marry me and kind of give him the thumbs up once the dad had said yes and they were all kind of jumping around and clapping in the shop. Um, but then I still had to obviously ask um, ask Jess, which was um, which was pretty pretty nerve-wracking as well. We um, we were away on holiday in Italy and we walked up to um, an old castle that kind of overlooks Lake Como, so it was about 35 degrees, so we were both dripping in sweat by the time we got to the top of this castle and then I decided to, to, to pop the question there. And um, I think I was even more sweaty after finally getting down <laughs> on one knee and building up the courage to do it. And thankfully she um, she said yes, even though I was a sweaty mess. So yeah, um, <laughs> it's a pretty nerve wracking experience to be honest. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a pretty, pretty idyllic location to do it. Yeah. I mean, it was a, that's an amazing part of the world and um, yeah, hopefully we'll get back there at, at some point. Yeah, I think for me, it was, uh, you know, I felt ready and I could feel my heart sort of like picking up for sure. And then it was like in the moment, once it sort of started happening, I feel like I almost like just it got really blurry. And I felt like this wave of emotion just like hit me in the back of the eyes, you know, and it was like, <laughs> uh, it's hard to anticipate that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I, I I got those, uh, you know, those feelings totally as well. And I, um kind of uh i had to tell jess that i wasn't i wasn't joking as well i think she thought i was joking for a second as well so i had to tell her i was serious i think yeah yeah that's good yeah with natalie i had to 
you know, we did it and she kind of like blacked out herself, I think. So like 10 minutes later, <laughs> I had to basically like <laughs> do it again. And they're like, tell her what I said again. And it worked out well for me because I, I got a like second chance to do it a little bit smoother. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like that might be a good spot to leave it today. You know, bringing love into the world is, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate healing and remedy for, for everything, you know, for overcoming the adversity in the world. But, you know, I feel like, you know, when I'm out running and cycling too, as much as I can just love the experience in the moment, you know, it's, it makes it so much easier too. And bringing that to as much of our lives as we can is just so vital. That's it. That's definitely a hundred, hundred percent agree with that for sure. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I want to thank you again for, for sharing your story with me and the video that you put out because, you know, that's definitely inspiring. It's inspiring love, but also the potential to love, you know, as people get more vulnerable and share these things, it, it opens the capacity that we have to love and connect with one another. And that's, you know, just the most important thing I think there is. So thank you again. No, thank you for um, thank you for having me on and um, and your kind words on the film and stuff when it was first released as well. Thank you, uh, thank you for reaching out. So because um, those things all they mean a lot to me as well to to know that it's um, you know helping people in some way and um, it's been received the way it's been received is um, it is really nice to to hear that feedback. So thank you. Yeah, thanks. All right. Well, I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. Definitely do. Definitely. Some some more cycling chat. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to be hitting you up for some more tips. <laughs> <laughs> anytime, anytime. All right, cool. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, dude. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Whether you listen to it on Spotify, Apple, or through our website, it would be great to hear your feedback and thoughts. If you're able to leave a review, it'll really help us share the message and share the podcast with more people. Thank you.